Well, good morning. Great to see everybody. Uh, I loved hearing, standing up here in the front, hearing us as a congregation singing that song together before we open God's Word in Galatians. So great to be together. Today, as Lindsay referred to earlier, we are starting a new series in the book of Galatians. You can start making your way there in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 today. I'm sure for many of you, for those of you that have been walking with Jesus for years, you love Galatians like I love Galatians, right? And there's a multitude of reasons why we do. Primarily, Galatians is all about the centrality of the gospel and how the centrality of the gospel frames and fuels our lives as Christians, how we can have freedom and power and courage and joy is because of the gospel. But as we're going to see in our text today, Paul is going to say he's astonished, is the word he used, astonished that the Galatians are so quickly deserting this gospel and turning to a different gospel entirely if there even is such a thing. Okay, so that's what we're going to see in Galatians chapter 1. Astonished, the Galatian churches had been told one thing, and now they were so quickly deserting and believing some other sort of gospel entirely. So I'm curious, as we kind of enter in towards our text today, have you ever experienced a time in your life when you felt astonished like this? It was one thing and then there was another. Wow, that was astonishing. As I've been thinking about that this week, I just want to share this with you. I hope I'm not oversharing. What comes to mind is our son Isaiah. Uh, This was about three years ago. Isaiah was six years old. I'm not saying he has moved past this, but he was really struggling with getting up early out of bed, rummaging around the house, watching cartoons, looking for sweets in the cupboards. Like that was just happening all the time. So Carrie and I were working with Isaiah, trying to help the light bulb go on, right? Hey, bud, you shouldn't get out of bed until you're supposed to get out of bed, right? Like the sweets and the goodies in the cupboards and cartoons are for later. So one night we have that talk and it feels like it clicked for Isaiah, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I get it, mom and dad. You know, you, you can trust me. I'm going to stay in bed. I get it. Like, oh, wow, relief. Yes, finally. So why am I sharing this story with you? I think you all know probably where this is going and why I felt astonishment. So I don't remember what time it was. It was way too early, maybe like 5 a.m. Hear this noise in the kitchen, like, what is going on? So I walk out there and I can't, the words don't paint the picture enough of this, but there's Isaiah sitting on the counter with no shirt on, just his pajama pants, just fistfuls of Nutella from a giant jar from Costco. Like his hands were like spoons, just scooping it. He has Nutella. Like think about the chocolatey hazelnut goodness of Nutella from a Costco jar, just like all over his face, on his chest. Oh, I was astonished, right? I thought we were so clear the night before. And then that next morning, my son's staring at me with Nutella all over him. So I was astonished. That's what came to mind for me. While that is funny in some kind of way, and it speaks to astonishment in some kind of way, what we're going to see in Galatians chapter 1 is astonishment about the most important thing in the universe, and that's no exaggeration. The most important thing in the universe is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul is going to be astonished about that in the Galatian churches, okay? So that's where we're going today. 
So please follow along with me. Have your Bible open in front of you. Put your finger on the text, Galatians chapter one. We're gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna read for us through verse 10. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's all bow our heads and agree together in prayer before we start our time together today. Father God, I pray that you will calm any anxious hearts here, that you will focus our mind and our affections on you. We need to hear from you today through your word. Comfort, Father, where comfort is needed challenge where challenge is needed. Reorient us today to your gospel. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so verses 1 through 10, what a text. We're going to explore three different questions together from verses 1 through 10. First question is, what is the gospel? Don't want to assume it. What is the gospel? Second question is, how can the gospel be distorted? And then third question is, why does this matter? So first, what is the gospel? So we know this, right? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote the book of Galatians to this group of churches that was in the Roman province of Galatia. These were churches he planted on his first missionary journey. So Paul's invested. He loves these brothers and sisters. He loves these churches. Okay, have that in your mind. That's going to help us feel the weight of Galatians 1. And as we're going to go through the book, we're going to see that Paul is more critical of these Galatians than he is of anyone else he writes to in all his letters. Think how messed up the first and second Corinthian, the Corinthian church was. Paul doesn't even speak like that to them. So there's something happening here in Galatians that we need to get and we're going to see in our time together. And the reason why, when you boil it all down, is because of the danger the Galatians were in. The danger of believing false teachers who were distorting the gospel to them. So the problem Galatians addresses is the problem of deserting the gospel. That explains why the tone and the language of Galatians is so just confrontational and blunt and bold. What Galatians speaks to was a matter of critical importance then. It's been critical importance throughout church history, 
And it's a matter of critical importance today, this minute, for us as Gresham Bible Church as we sit here today. Martin Luther, he considered Galatians to be the most important book in the Bible. As I was studying it, listen to this quote by Martin Luther. I thought it was awesome. Uh, Luther called Galatians my epistle. And this is Luther. Listen to what he said. Luther says, if it were possible to marry an epistle, Galatians would be my wife. So that's how much Galatians has been important in the history of the church, okay? So look down in your Bible at verses one and two, and what a strong start right out of the gate to our book. So to summarize just real quick, Paul begins by asserting his apostolic authority, okay? He's not messing around right away. And the reason he does that, because we're going to see later in the book, these false teachers that were going around trying to add to the gospel, they were saying a few things, and one of them they were saying about Paul was, hey, this guy doesn't really have authority. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. You don't have to listen to him. We know more about the Bible than Paul does. So Paul says, nope. And he leads right away with his authority that was given to him back on Acts 9 on the Damascus Road, right? Where the Lord Jesus Christ himself calls him, right? The persecutor of the church. Then he's made Paul. So he's saying, hey, my authority comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, from his gospel. And then look at verses 3 through 5. What does it say? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow, what a power-packed few verses here. In verses 3 through 5, Paul gives a summary outline of the gospel itself, pointing to and teeing up what he's going to address through the six chapters of the whole book of Galatians the truth of the gospel itself. So Galatians is all about the gospel. And even in our short 10 verses, the gospel is mentioned five different times. Okay. So we catching the flavor and emphasis of the book. And I'm sure you'd agree with me. If we're going to ensure that we don't fall into this danger, the Galatians were right. They were deserting, deserting the gospel because someone was distorting the gospel to them. If we don't want to fall for that, then we have to be really clear on what the gospel is, don't we? We can't assume it if we're going to avoid those same dangers. So just look down at God's word in front of you. I want the takeaway to be God's word, not what you hear me say. So look at verses three through five and notice what gospel questions it addresses just in verses three through five. The question of who are we? Verse four shows we're helpless and lost. We need to be delivered, it says, to be rescued. How did Jesus rescue us? What does verse four say? Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us. And that word for here means on behalf of or in place of. So Jesus delivered us. He rescued us by his own substitutionary atonement for our sins. Jesus did all we needed him to do. We didn't do any of it. He did it himself. Jesus took our sins, he rescued us from our sins, and he gave us his righteousness. And then not only that, what did the Father do? Again, just look down at our text. God accepted the work of Christ on our behalf by raising Jesus from the dead, verse 1 says, and then giving us grace and peace, verse 3 points us to. 
the grace and peace that Christ won and achieved for us, okay? This isn't some throwaway Christianese phrase, the gospel that Paul's gonna address. This is a matter of life and death. It's the most important thing in the universe. And then lastly, you can say, yeah, Mike, that's all well and good. Well, these verses even point us to, why did God even do this, right? Just look down again at the text. It's not because of anything we have done, but it was done out of God's grace, according to the will of our God and Father, verse 4 says. So there's nothing in me, there's nothing in you that deserves this grace, that earned this grace, that you just built up some merits or some gold coins back like on Super Mario Brothers, and then God owed you his grace. It's all from him, according to the will of God the Father. So why did God do this? Why does God love us? Because he loves us, right? Because he loves us. So the only thing we contribute is our sin. Have you ever thought about that? The only thing you contribute to the gospel is your sinning. The only thing you have to offer God is your need of him, right? That's what verses three through five are bringing up for us here about the gospel. So this highlights the reality of verse five that God is the only one who deserves glory forever and ever, amen, because we didn't earn our rescue, did we? God did it from beginning to end. It's all from him and through him and to him, amen? So then he gets all the glory forever and ever, okay? That's the gospel that Paul is speaking about here in Galatians. So what is the gospel? Again, we don't wanna assume it. In summary, I think we know this at Gresham Bible Church, and praise God we do. The gospel is an announcement. Like when the Roman emperor or a guy would go around and announce, hey, I beat this other group of people in a battle, and they announce his victory. That was called gospel. Okay, so gospel's an announcement. Gospel is news, really, really good news about who God is and what he's done. So if it's this kind of good news, it's good news that's to be believed, not just good advice to be followed. Paul wasn't fired up in Galatians about them not following good advice. He was fired up about them not trusting and believing in good news in the gospel. So 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 5 are key verses about what the gospel is. Hear this from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So again, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. The gospel is news. That's why it can be distorted. The gospel is news. It's an announcement. The gospel is true reality, right? Real reality and true truth. But the question is, do we believe it? Do we receive it? Okay, it's not good advice. It's good news. Or like what we're going to see here in Galatians, we're made of the same stuff they are. Do we add to the gospel? Do we add to the news of the gospel? 
so that the challenge and the call for Galatians, you're going to hear it week after week, and maybe it's going to feel repetitive, but that's Galatians, and we're going to preach and sit under God's word, okay? The charge is not to shift our hope from the gospel, and that's always the battle for each of us as individual Christians, and that's the battle for the church as well, from Galatia all the way to Gresham, okay? Galatians applies to us today. It's going to show us, again, the centrality of the gospel. And again, you can nod your head at that like for salvation. But Galatians is going to show you the gospel is core and central to living your life as a Christian. If you distort the gospel, you're going to miss out on all the freedom of the gospel, all the power of the gospel, all the courage and obedience that the gospel provides. So Galatians is highlighting the centrality of the gospel, right? I'm just going to keep beating this drum because Galatians does. So sorry if this feels repetitive, okay? The gospel is what gets you in, right? Through the gospel, we're rescued, we're delivered. And the gospel is how we live as Christians. The drumbeat of Galatians is we don't graduate from the gospel as Christians because Christians need the gospel just like non-Christians do. That's what Paul's calling them out on. They're distorting the gospel and that it's manifesting itself in how they're living because they've distorted the gospel. So the gospel isn't something that you move on from as a Christian. Like, yeah, check, I graduated from middle school. Now I'm on to high school and doing awesome things for Jesus. And it's about like my performance. That's a false gospel. That's a distortion of the gospel. We don't move on from the gospel we move deeper into it. That's where Galatians is going to take us. So why is this? It's because if we're being honest, right? We want to say we're an honest church. If we're being honest, the reason why we move on from it or we distort it is because we have a tendency to want to save ourselves, don't we? We're prone to want to earn grace. We love, I love to try to be my own savior. I don't think that's what I'm doing, but that's what I'm doing. We want glory for ourselves. So we're going to do in our lives the same distortion that the Galatians do. So if you can agree with me, and I hope you can already from Galatians 1, if the gospel is news and it's good news that really matters, and if our tendency as human beings is anti-gospel because we're hardwired to try to want to save ourselves, to deliver ourselves, we better make sure we don't distort the gospel. That's the argument we're going to see in the six chapters of Galatians, and that brings us to our second point today, our second question. How can the gospel be distorted? Look down at verses 6 through 9, where Paul gets right to the heart of the problem. He doesn't bury the lead. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Wow. The problem, and it's a big problem, is that the Galatians are deserting from the gospel. And Paul's what? 
He's astonished. Don't just gloss over that. Paul's astonished. Really? He's appalled. He's appalled. These churches he helped plant that you're now deserting the gospel? What is happening? So it's important to call out to feel this, right? So we, we get what Galatians is pointing us to. In all of Paul's other letters, probably a lot of you know this, like he would give these kind of beginning few verses and then he would thank God for like evidence of grace in these churches, right? He would thank the Lord and then he would kind of move, move in. Well, he breaks that in Galatians here big time. And when the Galatian churches would have heard this letter read aloud, it would have been jarring to them. They would have already be picking up what Paul's putting down here. He doesn't say anything about what he's thankful for, does he? Verse six, he just starts out, I am astonished. The severity of the problem causes Paul to get right down to business. And also remember again who Paul is addressing. He didn't write Galatians to an individual Christian. He wrote it to some churches in an area, right? And he's saying, hey, you're deserting the gospel. So I don't want us to miss this, like holding fast to the gospel, protecting the gospel, not distorting it. It's a whole church responsibility. Galatians isn't just written to the elders and overseers of the churches of Galatia. It's written to the churches. So all of you that are members of GBC, you have that responsibility to not distort the gospel and help one another not desert from the gospel. So this rebuke about deserting the gospel was to all these churches, right? All these congregations, etc. But let's not, again, just kind of skip over the problem. Look right down at verse seven. What's the problem? The problem is there are some who are going around to these Galatian churches distorting the gospel. Wow, this group of people are going around distorting the gospel. So we're going to see who these people are, right? We're going to identify who's doing the crime as we go through Galatians, but it's important we, we're just familiar with it right now. This group of people was a group of people called the Judaizers, okay? They went around saying that, oh, Galatians, it's great you've come to saving faith in Christ, but if you really want God's approval, then you need to add on these Old Testament laws to really live a good life as a Christian and to really be accepted by God. Really, they're saying in order for God to approve of you, it's gospel plus something is what they're saying. And their primary thing they're concerned about is circumcision. They're saying, hey, if you're not circumcised and you've accepted Christ, uh, I don't know, is that like half credit or something? But to really, really have God approve of you, you need to do this Old Testament thing as well. So we could think, right? They're saying, hey, it's Jesus plus religious performance is what gives you God's approval, right? And, and we could think that, wow, yeah, I get that. Like, but couldn't Paul just like overlook that? Couldn't he just kind of move on, not make this a big deal? It'll pass away in time. Like Paul could have done that, right? But what does Paul do? What does he say? He says what these Judaizers are saying, that it's Jesus plus something. Paul says in verses six through nine, that this is a different gospel, a distorted gospel, a contrary gospel. The word for distort, other versions translate that word as perverse. And what that really means is a reversal or the polar opposite of, 
When he's saying, hey, they're distorting the gospel, he's saying these people that are saying it's Jesus plus something, they're actually turning the gospel inside out on itself. They're reversing it is what Paul is calling them out for here. So the order of the gospel, we already saw it in verses three through five, God calls us, we didn't call him first, right? God calls us first, we didn't call him first. And then God accepts us and then we follow him. But they're flipping that order around. They're putting religious performance as a first level issue that it's gospel plus this Old Testament thing in order to really be a Christian. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is what saves us, right? Not any righteousness we bring to the table. Your religious performance cannot be added to the gospel. If we add anything to Christ as a requirement for acceptance with God, what does God's word say in front of us? That's not a gospel at all. It's contrary to the gospel. It's distorting the gospel. It's a different gospel if you can even call it that. To add anything to the gospel is to nullify the gospel. Adding to the gospel is distorting it, perverting it. That's what God's word in front of us is saying. Because again, your righteousness can't save you. Only the perfect righteousness of Christ saves sinners. Martin Luther put it like this. There is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. Wow. That's what Paul is addressing here. And then just to make sure, like they're really hearing him, what does he say in verses eight and nine? He says, you're in so much danger, I'm pronouncing a curse on these people that are announcing, proclaiming a different gospel. Paul says, even if an angel, think about that, like an angel in the Bible, people like bow down, a majestic being, if a majestic being appears to you and preaches another gospel, Paul says, let him be accursed. Don't believe it. It's spiritual poison is what he's saying. So Paul, I think we could all agree, couldn't be any more clear. To add anything to the gospel is anti-gospel. Adding anything to the gospel reverses the flow of the gospel is what he's saying here. It's not Jesus plus something that saves you. It's Jesus. And he does everything in your salvation. That's what Paul is counseling, rebuking, teaching these Galatians on. Because the real true gospel is that Jesus Christ did for us what we are completely incapable of doing for ourselves. And then we just receive it in faith. Grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. That's Galatians. So in God's economy, we don't contribute anything to our salvation but our sin. Jesus did all the rest, and there is nothing we can do to add to his perfect sacrifice. This means there is no other gospel. There's only one true gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says it like this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus or nothing. And we can think like in our time and place, maybe right now, nobody knows this, 
but maybe like in the inner workings of your heart, your inner voice, you're like, that sounds really arrogant. That sounds really prideful, right? That Jesus is that exclusive. But when you think about it, that salvation only comes through Jesus, that it's Jesus plus nothing, that's the most humble, beautiful news you could ever hear. You don't earn it. If you earned it, it would be really prideful. It'd be really arrogant that you think you're better than all these other people and that you've earned the favor and approval of the God of the universe. The exclusivity of Christ in the gospel is humble and beautiful and good news. Okay, It's the most welcoming news you'll ever hear that it's Jesus plus nothing. So at this point, we have to ask ourselves, right? We want to reflect on God's word, the, uh, the them and then of Galatians, and then the us and now of Galatians, right? This message is for us as individual Christians and us as a particular local church family too. So we have to ask, what would make adding to the gospel appealing to the Galatians, right? They wanted this at some level. And if adding to the gospel was appealing to them, could it be appealing to us in some sort of way too? How could we be prone to distort the gospel and what are the implications of that? And that brings us to our last question we're gonna consider together. And that question is, why does this even matter? Okay, There could be books and books and books and hours and hours about this, but I wanna just like land the plane for us in a few specific ways now. Why does this matter that there is one true gospel? It matters because we're all enslaved. Remember what verse four said? That Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So the gospel matters because we need to be delivered to be rescued from our sin and from trying to save ourselves by adding to the gospel by working, by striving for our own righteousness, of thinking we have to earn acceptance, and that by living for the approval of others more than God's approval. We have to be rescued from that. We're enslaved to those things as humans, as sinners. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have to deliver us, would he? So look down at verse 10. I want you to see this kind of progression or argument in the text. Look at verse 10. What's it say? Paul concludes by saying, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So it's almost like this group of Judaizers were going around telling the Galatians, Hey, Paul's not telling you our gospel of Jesus plus religious performance because he's afraid. Because Paul's a people pleaser and he wants you to like him, so don't believe him, okay? That's what they're telling the Galatians. Paul calls them out on it right here. He says, hey, I'm not a people pleaser. I'm a servant of Christ, so you can believe me here. So Paul says that's not true at all. He is a servant of Christ. It's Christ alone that he finds his approval in. He's saying he's not a people pleaser. So let's just think about that for a moment. If there's one true gospel, that it's Jesus plus nothing, how does that inform or undergird what Paul's saying here, right? And the reason he can say, I'm not a people pleaser, you can believe me, is because of what's behind and underneath verse 10. 
because Paul was fully accepted and completely approved of by God because of the perfect work and righteousness of Jesus Christ. So therefore, I don't have to live for your approval. I'm telling you the truth, Paul is saying. Because the gospel, right, being Christ alone, freed him from people-pleasing. From its, He didn't add people-pleasing into the gospel. It was Christ alone. Because of the gospel, he had the righteousness of Jesus, so he didn't have to earn righteousness through what people thought of him. People's approval couldn't add anything to the approval of God, and that was through the gospel. Those are the dynamics, what undergirds why Paul can say in verse 10, hey, I don't need your approval, is what he's saying here. So because of that, because of the approval of the gospel, he was free from seeking his righteousness in the approval of others. He was accepted by God because of the gospel. He didn't need anything more. Like, do you see how freeing, how relevant to our lives today the centrality of the gospel is? That it's Jesus plus nothing. Can't we see how like a gospel-driven kind of life is filled with so much freedom and so much joy and so much faithful obedience to Christ? So as a Christian, right, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, me right here standing in front of you, I'm fully accepted by God through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Full stop. I can't add anything onto that. I'm completely approved of through the work of another. And God's love and approval of me is not dependent on my performance for him. Right? I don't get a report card every quarter from God saying, Mike, C's get degrees, man, way to go. I have straight A's, not because of my performance, but because of Jesus. That's true for us as Christians. So I said this earlier, I really want you to hear this and like delight in it. Why does God love you, Christian? Because he loves you. You can't add anything to that. There is nothing you did to merit his deliverance through the gospel. There's nothing you can add to the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was perfectly purchased for you on the cross. And I say that on Palm Sunday as we're entering into Holy Week. It's Jesus plus nothing, and that literally means everything. Because of the gospel, you're not enslaved to sin or living for the approval of others anymore. You're fully and completely accepted of by God because Jesus' righteousness is credited to you as your righteousness. Wow, what a gospel. You can't add extra credit points to the cross, okay? There's a reason why Jesus said it is finished, and yet we try to add to it, don't we? So I want to lean into this together a little bit here in two different ways for you personally, and then for us corporately as a church. So maybe for you, again, if you're being really honest, your identity and your purpose seems like it's tied to the approval of others. Thinking that if you have their approval, then you'll really matter. Maybe that's a parent figure. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a special someone in your life or a friend group. Okay, You live for the approval of others to define if you really matter or not. And yet, what happens when you don't have that approval you're looking for? 
aren't you just like filled with shame, right? You don't get that approval thinking it'll satisfy you. And then what's the result? Shame, not freedom. And that's overwhelming and suffocating, isn't it? The treadmill of trying to earn and keep the approval of others is exhausting. Or maybe for you, the approval you really seek of, like it's not others. If you're being really honest, it's yourself. You're striving and trying to earn your own approval, right? Because you never measure up enough to the inner critic that's always telling you, you don't matter. You're not approved of. No one's for you. God really couldn't love you, right? But that's not true. That's a lie because of the gospel, you're fully approved of and accepted by God. Because of that, you can stop striving, right, to reach that finish line of being good enough to be approved of of yourself, because those goalposts will just keep moved, right? You'll never reach that. So whatever it is, the gospel matters because only through the gospel are you completely approved of and accepted by God. So again, think about the implications of that, like in your life. If you really lived into and really believed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If you really believe the full approval and acceptance of God through the gospel, man, what a life that would empower you with, right? Not to go be a jerk at everybody and like tell Mike Festivus, like, I got a problem with you people, but more like just a life of, you don't have to earn their approval. You're approved of by God. You don't have to measure up to whatever standards you have in your heart. Christ is measured up to the only standard that matters, and he gives you his righteousness, right? That frees you to a life of joy and faithful obedience and power. We're going to see that through the rest of the book of Galatians. So seeking to find and keep approval through your own works, through your own religious performance, you know what it's like? It's like living in quicksand all the time. You're always trying to get out of it, but it keeps pulling you down because you'll never find approval that's secure enough outside of the gospel. Only in the gospel do we find the kind of approval we all long for, approval that's based on the perfect performance of Jesus. That's why Paul can say, I'm not a people pleaser. The gospel undergirds verse 10. So I want to ask us, for those of us who profess faith in Christ here this morning, like, I'm just going to give us a minute. I'm going to ask us a few questions. Take these away during your week. Talk with God about it. Talk with others in your community group about it. Pray about it. Christian, is your focus more on what you're supposed to do for God rather than focusing on what God has done for you through the gospel? How strongly are you performance-oriented? What Christian duties do you add to the gospel? What are you prone to add to the gospel because you don't feel approved of enough? So for you, it's Jesus plus something. And again, if we're being honest, we're all prone to do this in some kind of way, aren't we? But Galatians shows us that a right understanding of justification, right, of Jesus delivering us, flows into a life of healthy sanctification. The implications of the gospel didn't save you. Only the gospel itself saves you. So I just want to encourage you to like lean into this. 
I'm sure many in this room can tell stories, maybe you have, like in your community groups, through your testimonies. Like when that coin drops for you, when the glory and fullness and wonder and approval of the gospel gets a hold of you, and you realize and treasure just how approved of you are through the gospel, not through your performance, that there is nothing you can add to the gospel, then everything changes. It's like you move from scene in black and white to color. Okay, The gospel is everything. So bottom line, there is one gospel, and living out of the gospel fuels the Christian life fuels a Christian life of faithful obedience to him because you love him, because of all he's done for you. So I said I wanted to apply this in two different ways. So that's kind of individual, right? The dynamics of your inner life with the Lord and with other people. I also want to apply this to us as a church, and I'm just going to be really personal. And if this feels uncomfortable to you, like, give me grace, okay? But I hope this is helpful. So the fact that the approval of God comes through the gospel, it's really critical for our health as a local church family. And here's what I mean by that. Do you know what one of the main vocational hazards of being a pastor is? It's codependency. It's that I'm dependent on your approval and what you think of me for how I feel about myself and how I'm doing. Right? But what does verse 10 say? Paul says, I'm not a people pleaser. So I'm going to tell you the gracious truth, okay? We all know codependency isn't a healthy thing. So finding our approval in God is critical for us as elders that shepherd you, for those of us that get up here and preach. My approval is in God. I, I want you like to like me, if I'm being honest, right? And I want to be faithful. But my approval before God is not based on your approval. So therefore, we can say good and true things from this pulpit. And then if you're like, yeah, I want to like look at it from a different angle too. Wouldn't you agree with me? And if you don't, I'd love to talk to you about more why. But codependency goes two, way in a, two ways in a church. So I'm being really honest. I could be codependent on you for my approval. Well, you know what? You, us as a congregation, can be codependent on our pastor or elders too. Finding our identity in that, man, I love my pastor so-and-so. I go to so-and-so's church. And before long, your identity and purpose gets wrapped up. You become codependent to the pastor. And do you know what that does to the pastor? It wrecks him. And you're setting him up for failure. Okay? So living into the approval of God through the gospel, it matters, it protects, it cultivates a healthy church life. When we gather here... Those of us that profess faith in Christ, we're fully approved of by God. So that frees us up to like be an awesome church, right? We're not trying to impress each other. We're not trying to gain approval from each other. Like how different is that from the world you're in Monday through Saturday, whether it be at work or at school or in your neighborhood? We live in this cancel culture world, don't we? If I don't perform right or say the right thing, they're going to cancel me. And then you live in shame. But as Christians, we have the gospel and God's approval. Man, how different. Like, doesn't that inform us as a church family how sweet the gospel is? Aren't people going to ask you for a reason for the hope that you have? When they come here to church on Sunday, they're like, man, this is different. It's almost like it's a different kingdom breaking into this world because we're approved of by God. So I hope you can see like how important, how critical 
The approval we have in the gospel is for us individually and for us corporately who've committed to each other as members of one another of a local church. And I just want to say this, by God's grace, I don't see any unhealthy codependency in us. And maybe I'm blind to it, but I don't see it. And so praise God for that, right? But, but we are all prone to drift from the gospel. And if we're not careful, if we're not helping each other stay on point, we're going to drift there, okay? So I pray that verse 10, when you hear this, like, man, Paul didn't live for their approval and think about like how freeing that is for the life of the Christian and the life of ministry. I pray, and I know the elders pray that that speaks to the kind of pastoring and preaching you experience here at GBC. Ministry that's fueled by the gospel, like how healthy is that, right? So if we live out of the gospel and the full approval of God, that's going to make us this different kind of church family, a church family with a gospel that loves gospel doctrine, and we live out gospel culture, right? Because of the full acceptance of God we have through the gospel. Because the, only the gospel is sure enough of a foundation for your life as a Christian, and only the gospel is sure enough of a foundation for a local church. So as we move to a close here, I want to address those of you in the room that maybe nobody knows this, but like you're here and you're checking out Jesus. Maybe you've been doing that for a while, or maybe you're just starting to realize, I need to look into this Jesus thing more. And if you're here, not a Christian, like we say always, we're really glad you're here. If you come to Gresham Bible Church, you're going to hear the gospel. That's what we're about. That's the drumbeat. But I wonder for you, like, what do you think about all of this? Maybe for you, when you hear Christians talk about the gospel, like maybe you're like, oh, that's great. Like, I'm really happy for you that you found something that works for you, right? Like you do you, that, that's great. But that's not what Galatians leaves us with an option, does it? Galatians shows us, and that because of that, I want to lovingly challenge you that the gospel isn't just news that makes someone feel better. It's not just a coping mechanism for life. It's news with cosmic implications. What it can't be, the gospel of Galatians, what it can't be is just kind of important or like some vague spirituality that just helps you get through life. The gospel is news and there's only one gospel. So again, what did Jesus deliver us from through the gospel? What's verse four say? He delivered us from this present evil age. The gospel is news that matters because outside of the gospel, you are going to be enslaved to your sin. So as you like feel happy for your Christian friends, like, man, I'm really glad you found that. I would just challenge you, like, why are you so skeptical of the gospel? And I would encourage you to be more skeptical of your skepticism than the gospel and just see what God does with that, okay? And if that's you today, I would encourage you, there is no better day than right now to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and find the approval that you've been longing for your whole life. And that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to give us a minute to reflect on what we've heard today of maybe what God's doing in your heart as you've heard this word about the gospel and maybe even what he's calling you to do. And then after a moment of quiet, I'm going to pray for us and we'll go from there.
Father, we praise you for the gospel, for the one true gospel. We praise you for Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We confess and repent. We're prone to add to the gospel, prone to seek our acceptance and approval in things outside of you. Lord, renew us and restore us today with your great salvation. May we be a church who is satisfied with the one true gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.